Good morning, everybody. This is Paul Serro from Cedar Grove Capital. It is Tuesday, August 30th, and today we're going to be talking about a new uh, equity research report that we have been working on in the background. Um, so I apologize also because the audio is going to have like a little bit of haziness in the background. That's honestly my air conditioner that's blasting because it's really, really hot outside. So I apologize for that. Hopefully it's not too bad. Um, but for today's read aloud, it's actually on our new equity research that we put out on Build-A-Bear Workshop, ticker BBW, and how it's stuffed with unrecognized value. So I actually never knew that Build-A-Bear Workshop was actually a publicly traded company until the start of this year. In fact, I didn't even know that the company was still around. It was a store that I grew up with over two decades ago and by coincidence heard a pitch on it back in January by uh, this college student named Strat Becker. He discussed the company and his long thesis via a common stock pitch to Ross Klein, who was the CIO at ChangeBridge Capital, and it definitely got my attention. I opted to forego pursuing the stock further at the time because I felt that all of Strat's log points were priced in. However, what we all agreed on was that this company is relatively cheap, but it wasn't getting the price it deserved on the public markets. So what did we all think was an obvious solution? Take it private. Um, and what's interesting about this post today, um, for those that are listening in and even have listened in, this is actually our first, or my first collaboration post. This is uh, the first time I've actually worked with somebody else. Um, Stratbecker is kind of like the resident, you know, uh, researcher, investor for Build-A-Bear, and I figured, you know what, why not get him involved because he knows way more than I do, um, and he was bullish on the stock when it was stupid cheap uh, a couple of years ago, so... Um, this is going to be that first post, so hope you guys enjoy it. Um, we're going to kick it off with a TLDR. Um, the company has executed well on new store concepts and low labor intensive revenue streams that helped accelerate its growth. Despite all the strategic growth that Build-A-Bear has executed over the years, the lack of market coverage and general knowledge of the co has left it invisible. A few activists have great, great examples of how BBW can deliver increased shareholder value while the stock is depressed. Should public markets continue to fail, a leveraged buyout would provide triple-digit IRR and an attractive multiple on invested capital in just a few short years. So why is the equity undervalued? And we're going to start off with the business overview because for those of you who, you know, like me, knew about it in the past but didn't know it was public, or for those of you who have no idea what Build-A-Bear Workshop is, which means I'm carbon dating myself, uh, we're, we're going to start there and then, and then continue on. So Build-A-Bear Workshop found its root in the mall, providing a unique experience to kids. Today, the company has increasingly diversified physical footprint while prioritizing the expansion of its use case and leveraging its web presence to target adult customers. Of the company's 370 stores in North America today, under 58% are traditional mall stores, a steep decline from 92% in 2015. This shift is being conducted to diversify the company's physical footprint and avoid potential harm from struggling mall foot traffic by rotating to areas where foot traffic is rising. Driven by high lease optionality, Build-A-Bear has been downsizing its mall presence by closing or replacing unprofitable full-sized mall stores with 200 square foot concourses, opening stores in high traffic tourist areas, partnering with third parties and other retailers, and by creating new non-mall store designs. The company has also seen its share of sales to tweens, teens, and adults to over 40% of sales. So for those of you who are not familiar, the demographic is just ages nine and over. 
This has been driven in part by online sales, which are now about 20% of sales compared to 4% in 2015. The company has successfully prioritized targeting older customers for digital revenue, and teens slash adults make up the majority of end customers in this segment. But let's go talk about their growth strategy. First off, increasing the ticket size. The innovation in store locations has also come with increased product depth that enables upselling to customers. Add-ons, including custom sound effects, scents, beating hearts, accessories, you know, this is all the stuff that you know can go on or in the, the stuffed animal, and props are, are, are all upsold to customers throughout the bear making process as their lower input costs raise margins and create operating leverage within the business. This has been seen from the company's average transaction size growing by over 33% to $53.33 from 2013 to 2021, with gross margins increasing by 1,120 basis points in the same period. Licensing and media. One of the drivers for higher transaction values has been the company's licensed products, which generate 30 to 50% of the company's sales in a given year. Licensed products sell at a premium price point, and multiple releases from the same franchise, such as the Pokemon Evolutions, encourage repeat purchases from collectors. The company is also beginning to lean into the creator economy through licensing deals with the popular toy review YouTuber Ryan's World and TikTok duo We Wear Cute. Build-A-Bear is also growing its selection of owned IP products to reduce business cyclicality caused by third-party content release schedules. Leveraging its media channels, the business released its first movie, Honey Girls, last year. Originally released in theaters and now on Netflix, the movie boosted Honey Girls sales by 20% with an average transaction value of $90 versus the company average of $53.33. The business has also significant presence on iHeartRadio with over a half a million monthly listeners. But this segues into the next point, which is their product pipeline. Outside of media investments, the company has a robust product pipeline that sees new concepts in stores within a year and uses online soft launches to gauge demand before making large inventory investments. This effectively limits product development risk by not doing full-scale launches each time. Some of these products like the Pink Frog and Axolotl have become significant TikTok trends and sell at a rapid pace. And recent in-person, in-person channel checks slash conversations with store employees indicate an increased ability in selling original products. Secondary markets for these animals have also ballooned on eBay, where that pink frog that I just mentioned goes for $80 used, over three times the retail price. Furthermore, online trends such as a Build-A-Bear date have expanded in the store customer to increasingly include teens and adults. Next up is love in a box. Additionally, Build-A-Bear is further diversifying its revenue streams and increasing margins by investing in low labor and low fixed cost growth. It recently launched an online gifting service called Heartbox, which targets a higher price point uh, type of customer that may have sales over $5 million in the next year. The company also started a subscription delivery service, Cubscription, and yes, you heard that right, Cub, not Sub, which charges $29.99 on a quarterly basis, already making up about 20% of the company's retail business. These new e-commerce initiatives further enable operating leverage as 70% of the company's online orders are fulfilled in-store, minimizing overhead and incremental labor costs. For those of you listening to me before, this is almost kind of something that I've mentioned before with, uh, with Petco and how they leverage their e-commerce within their stores. But what's actually really cool, and we'll talk about this later, are Build-A-Bear's vending machines. 
So even with notable online launches, the company's most public-facing new project has been the introduction of automated vending machines. Placed in high foot traffic and situation-oriented locations such as airports and children's hospitals, these machines generate sales from people who want to get an impulse gift while on the move. Unless you heard that right, it's like literally a vending machine for stuffed animals. Starting with a single pilot machine in JFK Airport less than a year ago, this concept will have 10 machines in operation by the end of this year. More than half of these machines will be in airports through relationship with Hudson Group, which will ramp up to 25 to 50 airport location in the next 18 months. In addition, the company will be selling pre-made Build-A-Bear products at more than 10 other Hudson Group locations and a wholesale model with plans for future expansion. This will potentially add over $10 million of revenue and $2.5 million of EBITDA, assuming that margin of 25% versus company level margin of 15% in 2021, to fiscal 2024 results, with sales per square foot over 10 times higher than the company average. So next up is actually store innovation. So the company is also opening 20 non-ball locations this year, with a mix of company-owned and third-party locations. This includes the new Build-A-Bear Adventure Store concept, which will provide a broader customer experience and serves as a localized distribution hub for online orders. A revamp of the web experience and CRM is also being made to bring it up to par with modern standards. Importantly, all growth drivers are capital light investments, with company-owned stores costing between $200,000 and $500,000 to open, third-party stores having no cost, vending machines costing an estimated $50,000, and e-commerce slash CRM upgrades costing an estimated $1 million means that Build-A-Bear's cash-on-cash returns are quite attractive. For example, 2022 estimated capex for all the growth initiatives and the maintenance of existing operations is forecast to be 2% to 3.25% of total sales, emphasizing the capital-like nature of the business. So with all these points, let's talk about the valuation. The apparent prospects for continued growth with expanding margins appear at odds with the valuation the market assigns to Build-A-Bear. Despite the company's success in diversifying its operations, almost 20% of domestic sales growth in Q1, return on invested capital of over 25%, and no debt with a net cash balance worth 10% of the company's worth, the market still prices the company at a dirt cheap level at under 2.6 times 2022 forecasted EBD EBITDA. Build-A-Bear is priced as if it's facing significant issues like other retailers, but its performance indicates the opposite. EPS has almost doubled its peaks in 2007 and 2015, with its top line growing at double digits without any stimulus in play. Importantly, margins have also seen significant expansion with the operating margin of 700 points higher than any other point in the past decade. And that's, and that's basis points, by the way. Free cash flow is currently held in check by inventory investments, which is about $2 per share of free cash flow in the last 12 months. But we'll flip to being an additive to cash flow by the end of this year, as better supply chain and cost visibility will allow the company to increase inventory turns. The company's healthy balance sheet has allowed it to return cash to shareholders, giving back over 12% of its market cap and buybacks, and a special dividend from December 2021 to May of this year. The flip in inventory investments to cash flow will increase the ability further, and activists are pushing for larger buybacks or a tender. Trading at under 5.5 times 2022 estimated uh, price to earnings, with growing sales and profits at double digits in a long-term runway, this doesn't seem unwarranted. So in the next section of, uh, of this post, 
uh, we'll, we'll actually dive into an activist who actually visually highlights what the multiple of the company should be and the assumed price of said multiple. But why is the company not getting the recognition it deserves? The reason the company gets no credit in its stock price for uh, great execution appears to be caused by a lack of coverage preventing more up-to-date information from being accurately priced. Non-sponsored coverage hasn't existed since 2015 to 2018 when the business's concentration of malls and lack of online sales left it prone to the mall apocalypse becoming a value trap. This misunderstanding of the company's position is further impacted by concerns industry-wide about inventory markdowns as many retailers face an inventory glut. To this point, it's important to note that the mix-and-match nature of Build-A-Bear's products sharply reduces obsolete's risk. Add-on products like accessories and sound effects have no reliance on what quote-unquote bear they're in, so any risk of them being marked down is inherently reduced. Lower liquidity can also have an impact, with under 2% of the company's market cap, which is about $5 million, trading on an average day, though this is arguably tied to the lack of coverage on the company. With under 58% of North American locations in a traditional mall format and 20% of sales now online, the company has significantly improved its fiscal footprint and sales makeup, something which is reflected in higher operating margins and successful rollouts of new store concepts, such as the concourse and store within the store agreements. Growing sales and profits by double-digit percentages with no stimulus show, in our opinion, the stock is significantly undervalued. But that doesn't mean it doesn't come without risks. Since this is a retail stock, that automatically means that there are certain risks associated with the business that is unique to Build-A-Bear itself, but also fall into the trend with other retailers that have had issues this year. So we've actually highlighted four of them. First off is employee attrition. The company is dependent on well-trained staff to upsell during purchases. Uh, Increased attrition may harm operating leverage and margins by not promoting high margin add-ons. Because labor issues are such a problem these days, uh, any type of disruption to that could affect you know, higher ticket prices, which leads to lower transaction values, et cetera, et cetera. Secondly, reliance on licensed content. In a given year, 30 to 50% of sales come from licensed IP, making the company rely on third parties for the timely release of new content, and also leaves it exposed to potential contracts ending. Prime example uh, was when uh, Hasbro lost their contract with Disney. Third, concentration in malls. The company must continue diversifying its store portfolio away from the malls. Delays or issues with new store formats may harm this transition and cause a slowdown in growth. And fourth, which is honestly the biggest and most evident one in the room, actually that within the room, is that given that this company is in fact a discretionary company, any decline in consumer spending, whether due to inflation or recession, could negatively impact the company. Because let's be real here, if you need to cut down costs, you're not. You're probably gonna cut down teddy bears over food, right? Um, but to caveat that, historically, toys have actually held up very well in a downturn. Hasbro and Mattel have been great plays during downturns, just because um, you know getting getting your kids' presents over yourself is quite a big deal. So then, now, how can Build a Bear improve shareholder return? If we take a look at what more management could do to boost shareholder value, the obvious answer is to be more aggressive with buybacks. Since December 2021, Build-A-Bear has bought back 840,000 shares for a total price of about $14 million. The current share buyback program is near exhaustion and could mean that the board of, direction, board of directors might consider instituting a new buyback program. In the meantime, given its zero debt balance, its cash on hand, and growing free cash flow, the company has been approached to do more. 
So with that being said, let's actually start with Canon Wealth Management. Canon Wealth Management is a fund that owns a little more than 6% of the total shares outstanding as of June 30th, 2022. Canon has been an activist for some time and even used to have a seat on the board. In July, they approached management with a share buyback plan that would reduce the number of shares by about 6.2 million or 40% and allow existing shareholders to own 67% more of the company. So how do they get to that? Let's walk through the math. So first off, the valuation in a sale leaseback of at least $30 million, $31 million, uh, because Bilderberg actually does own a lot of their real estate, so this is actually quite uh, a premium asset here. Associated lease expense of $1.8 million. The company has an opportunity to sell and then lease back, that's how a sale leaseback works, this asset at 17.2 times earnings and repurchase stock at 3.2 times EBITDA. This would be accretive to earnings by uh, per share by about 11%. They also mentioned that they believe that the company's net cash position could improve to $75 million over the next six months, bringing the total net cash position to about $105 million. This is where you get the $75 million plus the $31 million from the sale leaseback, which is how they actually get to the 6.2 million shares being repurchased. A more recent call of activism is from another uh, fund called Cannell Capital, which owns 10.7% of the stock, also calling for more aggressive buybacks. They've had a long-standing role in Build-A-Bear, including prior board nominations. Cannell Capital believes that the board of directors are asleep at the wheel and don't know what they're doing. In their, per- in their proposal, they outline a few things. First off, the company has $26 million of cash in the balance sheet. Second, they can borrow $25 million at a 5% interest rate, and that's, ba- that's based on their own estimates. Thirdly, their free cash flow for this year could be about $30 million. And four, a sale leaseback of their Ohio distribution center could yield them another $35 million. So quoting them from, from their letter, Bilderberg stock is trading at just six times 2022 estimated EPS, its lowest level in about 18 years. By our math, if Bilderberg were to monetize its real estate assets and take net leverage just one times uh, through a tender at 17 per share, 2022 earnings per share would grow 110%, inclusive of incremental interest and leasing costs. Another quote, on July 21st, Kennel Capital talked to Bilderberg and urged its board of directors to conduct a modified Dutch tender for Bilderberg's common stock. They believe that if they don't do something soon, a board shakeup is needed, end quote. So for context, the Dutch offer is a solicitation to buy shares at a given point in time based on the best offer price of said duration, whereas a share buyback program allows for a certain amount of capital to be used over time at management's discretion, which could allow for more favorable or even unfavorable prices during buyback. Some of these valid points, uh, I mean, sorry, both of these valid points, uh, but just to go about them in different ways. If the stock isn't moving, then take advantage of the subdued stock price to reward shareholders at the current levels. Will the board of directors do it? Maybe. But we'll see if they arrive to the conclusion on their own come this next earnings release. Last section of the read aloud today is taking a private via leverage buyout. If public markets won't give it the recognition it deserves, then take them private. For the final leg of possible solutions here, perhaps Build-A-Bear not being a public company anymore might be in its favor. Here's where Stratton, I believe, and also Ross Klein, that Build-A-Bear could make for a great leverage buyout and why PE firms should consider it. So first, what makes for a good leverage buyout? 
I'm going to give you a few examples of the characteristics that make a good LBO, but by no means are they stack ranked or anything. There's going to be a lot more. I'm just narrowing them down to four uh, because it's the most applicable. So first off is strong free cash flow generation. Secondly, some type of moat or favorable unit economics. Third, little to no debt. And four, just inherently being undervalued, whether it's through their assets or the business itself. We believe that Build-A-Bear has all of this. This section is going to highlight why a hypothetical take private of Build-A-Bear makes sense, but by no means is it a complete LBO model. We're not doing the work of PE if we be the ones holding the equity that needs to be bought out. So where do we start? What can PE pay? Given that two active investors have publicly written to the Build-A-Bear board of directors about how to return more capital to shareholders, selling the company without a sizable premium has little chance of going through. For this reason, based on LTM EBITDA of $67 million, about $67 million, and assigning a six times multiple, we arrive at a take private enterprise value of about $406 million or a share price premium of 65% based on Friday's close. But don't let that 65% scare you. Um, for those listening in, I'm gonna kind of break down the math. For those that are listening and reading the post, I've actually visually put the math in the post. This is transaction assumptions, debt assumptions, sources, uses, etc. So now that there are tons of ways to go about funding this and deciding what level slash type of debt you'd like to use for our purposes, given how the company has no debt, net cash of $26 million, and substantial free cash flow generation, we opted for a traditional revolver, a seven-year term loan, and a senior note offering. Given all the fees, transaction value, and cash to be placed on the balance sheet, you know, via short sources and leases, we're looking at a total take private cost of about $432, or $432 million, I'm sorry. Don't let this worry you, though. With the free cash flow that the company generates and the expectations of continued financial growth, the company can more than service its interest requirements. If we look at what PE could make on this transaction, take a look at the table. Mind you, this is not perfect and many different assumptions and iterations can be taken place that affects almost every aspect of this rough output. So based on Strat's assumptions for EBITDA, in just five years, we see it grow from 77 million in fiscal year 2022 to over 132 million in fiscal year 2027, almost doubling in that time. Given how well the company is growing, factoring in zero multiple expansion and paying down only the required debt each year, a PE firm can make a pretty penny. Based on the initial sponsor equity of about 132 million, five year IRR, so in the event of a sale, would be about 370% and a multiple on invested capital of about 4.7 times. These numbers should have any PE shop's mouth drop to the floor. Any PE bros out there reading or even listening to this should consider building out their own model for this and take it to their boss, <clears throat> L. Catterton. Why this hasn't happened yet? The biggest problem is that the lack of skin in the game from the board of directors and CEO having a cushy comp package that despite her over 3% ownership of the stock, the two parties may show an unwillingness to sell. A PE shop should or would have to convince them of the deal being worthwhile to execs rather than just shareholders. This in and of itself could be a hindrance to a deal taking place. Selfish. So here's the conclusion. Given that the company has been priced as if it were about to go bankrupt in 2020, the teddy bear company has been doing quite well under the hood, despite the market hasn't given it the recognition it deserves. 
that doesn't necessarily mean that investors have missed the bow from the lows, but that the upside is still very much there. While we've outlined what's going on with the company underneath, options that can increase total shareholder return and a long shot of an LBO, this microcap stock should warrant further attention from those interested excuse me, in something clearly undervalued. At worst, you end up buying a modern stuffed animal for someone you love. So if you enjoyed our research and would like to subscribe, click on the individual buttons below. I've included one for Cedar Grove Capital, which is mine. And I've also left a link for Strat Becker's newsletter where he talks about various different things. Um, I would recommend you reading it. Full disclosure too, uh, Strat actually does have a position in Build-A-Bear. Um, I, Paul Cerro for Cedar Grove Capital do not. Uh, but until next time, guys, this is Paul Sarah from Cedar Grove Capital signing off. Really appreciate you listening in. Thanks.